I'm Lisa Morehouse, and this is California Foodways. I'm traveling to every county in the state, finding stories about food, agriculture, and the people that make both possible. I've met a lot of interesting people reporting on this series, and some of them are really pioneers in agriculture and food. At the end of 2020, I learned that a few of them had passed away. So I talked with Sasha Coca, the host of KQED's California Report magazine, about their contributions to California agriculture. And I'm going to share that interview with you now. Hey there, Lisa. Hi, Sasha. Let's start with somebody who many consider to be the godfather of organic farming in California. My name's Amigo Bob Contesano. Yes, I do have a last name. A lot of people don't even identify me that way. It's rare. So most people knew him as Amigo Bob or Amigo. That's a nickname he got in high school. Amigo was a ninth generation Californian. And at an Earth Day rally back in 1970, he found some inspiration for the rest of his life. That's when he learned about pesticides. And he began farming and modeling how to farm without pesticides. You did a story about him back in 2016 in Nevada County, and you talked about how he's a kind of treasure hunter. These treasures that he was looking for were trees and the fruit and nut and ornamental trees that had been planted at homesteads and stagecoach stops and little orchards in gold country in the late 1800s. When I meet with Contesano at his house outside Nevada City, he straps a ladder on his car, tosses bags in his trunk, and takes me on a tour. This is our favorite walnut tree right there, in fact. And this pear tree, standing between a community hall and a gas station, it's probably 120 years old. It is absolutely just the most hardy tree. It has thrown huge crops every year in the drought. It doesn't get diseases, it doesn't get insects. Nobody prunes it, nobody waters it, nobody fertilizes it. Just prolific as heck. I've picked over 500 pounds of pears off of it. Whoa, off of that one tree? Yeah. He and two partners run a nonprofit, the Felix Gillet Institute, named for the French Nevada City nurseryman who imported and introduced hundreds of plants to the region over a century ago. They find and propagate these resilient heirloom trees, which Contesano says have lessons for growers in California today, where highly tended crops face drought, pests, and disease. If we can figure out how to take those characteristics and meld them into modern agriculture, we're going to have a more sustainable agriculture. With a name like Amigo, dreadlocks down to his waist, and a year-round outfit of shorts and tie-dye, Contesano has had plenty of people write him off over the years. I'm a hippie. But Amigo Bob was also a very serious and influential figure in the farming movement. Oh, yeah. He, he spent a lot of time advising big agricultural companies on how they could go organic. And Amigo started California's first natural food distribution company and its first organic farm supply company. So Amigo died in late December after a long fight with cancer. And since then, the tributes have really been pouring in from people who bought trees at his nursery, to fellow farmers, and to folks like Michael Pollan and Alice Waters, who say he was really influential in changing food and farming in our state. I love that part in your interview with him, Lisa, where he talks about how we as human beings and plants kind of have an intertwined history. He told me that he felt that every time he stopped and looked at a tree. 
I oftentimes just stop and try and feel the vibe of the person that planted it, you know. I know this sounds a little odd. I've had trees talk to me going, oh, thank you. You're actually taking care of me again. And, you know, I've been alone. There's a spirit in those plants. Lisa, let's talk about another big loss for California, the death of Marshall McKay. He died of COVID just before New Year's at the age of 68. Tell us about him. Well, when I met him, Marshall McKay was the chairman of the Yochadihi Wintu Nation in the Cape Valley, which is about an hour west of Sacramento. Um, and, and at that time, he told me about how before European contact, the Cape Valley was a kind of thoroughfare. Um, connecting indigenous people from the Bay Area and the Central Valley with Clear Lake and the Mendocino Coast. When people, outsiders came into the valley, gold rush prospectors, cattle ranchers, uh, soldiers. McKay says his ancestors fled to the hills, but many were still massacred. We were in the way, and so we were removed. It was a genocide. It just hasn't been, it hasn't been talked about you know, in history. Those who survived were relocated to barren land. It was a way of uh, slowly killing the tribe. But Marshall McKay's life's work was really to preserve and revive his tribe. He told me then that the tribe had almost been decimated, but they were brought back to life through gaming and the lucrative Cash Creek Casino that they built, and then really what they did with those earnings. Well, part of it was in agriculture, right? Right. The tribe was able to actually buy pieces of land in their ancestral territories, and they planted olive trees and started producing olive oil under the brand Seca Hills. Marshall McKay also worked for indigenous causes more broadly here in California. He served on California's Native American Heritage Commission. Right. And, and he also fought against the use of indigenous symbols as mascots in sports. But in our interview, in our time together, he really emphasized the importance of economic independence for his tribe, of owning and working the land there. And he told me that doing that work really eased the tensions between tribal members and their farmer neighbors in the Cape Valley, who had been pretty resentful of the tribe's casino. After they got into agriculture, they were all in the same line of work. That wasn't like that a few years ago. People were uh, not looking at us in the eye, and we weren't looking at them in the eye, and, you know, now it's changed. The tribe's membership is up to about 70 people, and McKay says to keep them grounded and engaged despite their newfound wealth, they receive higher incomes if they've graduated from high school or work or attend college full-time. Are you doing something for yourself instead of sitting down and, and just waiting for the handout? All members belong to committees to learn about tribal governance and casino operations and farm and land management so they can make thoughtful decisions about their future. I think our main objective these days is to acquire pieces of land that are significant to us and, and that have meaning. And he says all of this valley has meaning to his tribe. Finally, Lisa, you learned that another farmer you profiled from Sutter County also passed away toward the end of last year. Yeah, I met Mohinder Singh at a Sikh festival in Yuba City called Nagar Kirtan. It's a multi-day festival and a parade which centers around the Sikh temple there. It's more recognition that we are a community living here. And then since then, it's been going on bigger and bigger every year. 
80,000 people, a, a lot of them are six for sure, but plenty of other Californians, come to Yuba City every year for this celebration. You got to spend some time on Mohinder's farm. Let's play a clip from that part of your story. At 86, he still farms on his property in Live Oak, just outside Yuba City. Today, he's overseeing the kiwi harvest, but for most of his life here, Gog grew peaches. Colder nights, when temperature drop, silence prevail. Here's where I tell you that in addition to being a farmer, Mohinder Gog's a bit of a poet with a number of books published in Punjabi. If my trees survive the frosty night, I will forget all the pain. I'm a peach farmer. <laughs> he talked about being one of the few men in the area wearing a turban when he came to the U.S. in the 1960s. It helped me whole lot, the turban. I just really remember that I did a double take when he said this, just knowing about all of the hate crimes that the Sikh community have endured in California. I asked him a bunch of questions about isolation and discrimination, but Mohinder just insisted that his turban opened doors. And he was a man who really dove into civic life and connecting with the community. And he was even a delegate to the Democratic Party. And tragically, he died after a tractor accident on his farm last October. Yeah, that's right. His grandson wrote me soon after and told me that at age 89, he was still farming every day until the accident. And here's something else that he wrote. He said, amid our own fears about everything happening in this country, my grandfather always reassured us that our home gives us back all the love we put into it. Very appropriate words to come from a farmer, no? That's it for this episode of California Foodways. It originally aired on KQED's The California Report magazine. Our theme music is by Takenobu. California Foodways gets support from FERN, the Food and Environment Reporting Network, and California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. You can learn more at calhum.org. 